0: hello everyone welcome again to the where do we go now podcast as usual is blessed and uh it's only me today but I've got a guest in the in the studio or oh, and I've just got a guest with me today I'm gonna let him introduce himself Chichi, do you want to go for it
1: yeah thank you um it's really great to be here thank you for asking me my name is Chuchu nawagu I am what am I if that's a good question I am <laughs> A man of many talents, if that's probably the way to go for it. it, bro. I have been in a previous life. I worked in student unions. I studied theology and religious studies. Now I run two companies. One I founded myself and one I um, support and run with another friend who was also went to university with me as well. And, yeah, following time in student unions, I then worked for a student union as a staff member, and then decided to leave at the start of this year to really push and follow my dream of being an entrepreneur and just yeah look doing my business full-time so it's been an interesting journey so far but yeah sometimes you need to take the plunge you need to take the risk
0: I think probably later on we're gonna touch on like how you managed to make that move from just like working full-time to like focusing on your own business and stuff Mm -hmm. I think that like really really interesting but like do you remember how we met? Do you do you remember where we met?
1: I believe, if I remember correctly, it was <sighs> lead and change. Was it lead and change?
0: Was he lead and change? No, no, no. It was NUS NUS eighteen, not lead and change. Yes,
1: yes, 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 yes. Yeah. It, <laughs> it and was. remember? Yeah, it was, it was. Oh god, time goes fast. Time goes so fast. It was now when I remember it, yeah
0: it's been a long time man mm-hmm. but when i when i saw you i was like this guy talks a lot of sense he like knows his stuff Crazy. and i think we just just catch after after then but yeah. like you do you don't just remember like it's just been such a long time since you knew like somebody or how like you managed to meet somebody but like i guess like what made you wanted to join the student union like you did because that's where we met like what yeah. made you take that initial step after like so you, I'm assuming you were like in your final final year of uni and you decided mm-hmm. to do it. What made yeah. you do it?
1: You know what? It was never part of a plan. And this is me being entirely honest. Like when I joined university, I barely knew what the student union was. I was mm-hmm. probably one of the least engaged students. It happened to be that in my third year, I was, it. well, two things actually. In my third year, we had to, in Freshers Week, every year we would go to Fort Park and mm-hmm. we were on our way to Fort Park this year and for buses, were just taking so many different directions. And me being as vocal as I am, I decided to attend the Student Union's AGM annual meeting. And I was just complaining about the buses. And then at the same time these buses were happening, we also had a brand new accommodation block, which I lived in, which promised us laundry facilities, and then decided that actually they weren't going to put laundry facilities. And we had to share our laundry facilities with On our campus with 2,000 other students, also knowing that the other students are struggling to get space in the laundrette. Yeah. I was very, very vocal about this just because I want, just because I cared, not because I was looking for any promotion. And from the back of that, the students' union, off the back of that, the students' union were like, Do you want to get more involved? Have you thought about potentially running to be a sabbatical officer? And I was like, No, because for SU, never represented me in all the years that I was a s- student at Rehampton,
0: Yeah, I,
1: mean, I wouldn't ever say I, f- I saw myself represented, I would say I felt welcomed but welcomed by a small majority mm-hmm. and it crossed my mind for ages, I was like if I do this w- what am I going to gain from this, particularly knowing that the year before that I did run um, for a college president position which is a part-time officer position yeah, and didn't get it and I was like okay clearly there's a reason why I didn't get it just give up on the dream so I decided to run off the back of not seeing myself represented I wanting to see representation yeah. and knowing that for so long students like me haven't gone into the SU because actually they believe SU isn't the place for them and if I could just be a face that opens the door for those other people to come in yeah. then that was what my goal was so that's sort of what led me from a not being involved to making a bit of noise, you actually noticing that I made a bit of noise and were surprised <laughs> that there was a black student making noise to <laughs> me now being a sabbatical officer. So yeah, that was the journey.
0: So like, also basically, you're basically causing a lot of trouble trying to make noise. But Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and um, what I wanted to ask, I just wanted to nitpick where you said, like a lot of students like me were not being represented. What did you mean by like people like you weren't being represented?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Because you know what, it's hard because what I am not saying yeah. is that, every, that I speak for every black person or every black person was the same because yeah. there were more black people who did feel represented but it was the reason why they felt represented. Those yeah. were black students who would often go out and drink. Yeah, you would at every party, you would see them at every party, even if it was not music that we associate with. As long as they could drink, do what they do, dance, that for them was good. A lot you had some black people in the rugby team, black people in the football team. Yeah, and the SU for so many people was the union bar, even though the students' union and the (laughs) union bar at Rahampton were separate. For many yeah. of us, that's what our perception of the, what the Students' Union was of oh, they run events. Yeah. But if you go to the events and the music that they're playing doesn't represent you, you're hearing Spice Girls and S Club and you're thinking, why not a Bill DeVito or Vice Cartel? Like <laughs> All of those sorts of things. And <laughs> you don't see it and when you don't hear it and you see the black people that go and you're like, but what, what are they attending? Why do they want to do this? So I think yeah. that was us. We were on the periphery. Like, our ACS wasn't amazing. So it wasn't even as if we would say that we had an ACS that we can go to that compensated. We yeah. had no prominent so, or stable ACS. You continue,
0: like, for people that don't know what ACS is, ACS means basically African Caribbean Society. So yeah. from like universities and students union would have like different societies where people can join. And basically, to do events or different things that or tackle issues that they might care about. So ACS is one of those like societies where most like students of African Caribbean like origin like to join, but it's open to everybody to join as well. But it's mostly so that they can do events that they associate yeah. with, I guess. Just 100%. Continue.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, it was one of those things where it got to a point where I think a, all of uh, quite a few of us were like. We don't feel welcome here. Mm. The only time we ever felt welcomed was when we would go to the SU to buy tickets for events. Yeah. Other than that, Black History Month wasn't really anything. Like apart from maybe a poster and a campaign, and no offense to those that ran Black History Months in years prior, because I know they put effort in. But did I ever feel like our mm. Black Students officer, our BAME students officer, or anybody was given the opportunity to really make a mark no so i think it got to a point where it was like when there were two black people running mm-hmm. was the election me and joanna who ran it at the time mm-hmm. we won because and i would be very bold we won because of a black vote obviously other people voted for us but black people came in their numbers to support us
0: is it because that's the first time they have seen someone like them yeah. running for a position like that mm-hmm. in, in the yeah. university i'm guessing
1: you know, I think a little bit. I think it was the first time they saw people like them that mm. they knew could do the job. Because yeah. again, I will be very, I'm very outspoken in the way I say this. Not every black person that says they are here for the community are here for the community. Mm. There are many of us who, as much as we are black. Our intentions and motivation is very, very different. Not saying yeah. that it's not saying that because we're black, all of us should now care for everything about the black community. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people get into positions of power and forget their yeah. birth And they will go and allow the power to go to their heads. And I think that's what the problem with Roehampton was, where we had a lot of black people running for past, but what we didn't have was people with the potential and credentials to do it. Wow. And I think a lot of those people were the people that you just knew wanted to be do more parties, that wanted to do everything yes, SU done. Yeah. Then you had me and Joanna who came in, speaking a very different language, where you would barely see us at events. You'd barely see us at parties. Joanna was president of the Law Society. I was not a president of nothing. I was just <laughs> the average kid on campus who yeah. just spoke out and spoke out for those who didn't have a voice. And I think people saw me and Joanna and saw, okay, these are people who realistically, we believe can do the job. And I think that's why they came and supported because what we know is that people aren't stupid. There's been many elections across the the country where black people run and black students don't support because they aren't stupid. You know, I think at the time now where we're being asked to vote, the election process isn't easy. For a whole week you have people bombarding you. So I think it's one of those things where when you vote, you want to vote knowing that the people that you're gonna yeah. put in that position it's, will do a job that's worth it.
0: Yeah, it's like don't give me like an opportunity because I'm black. Give me because I deserve it. Mm. That's basically what it is. 100%. And I I, I do I, I do like that and especially like when you touched on like how it is important to give people like a voice. I think that's some that's something I definitely agree with because When I did, like, um, my own student union position, which Mm -hmm. is how we met, um, while I ran for the election, the reason was that, because then in Coventry, like, obviously, it's still there now, they had, like, different campuses in Coventry, and like, our own campus, like, was not the main campus, so, like, we're in a different location, and because, like, we didn't have many students, and we're not that, like, out there, like, and there were not a lot of societies on our campus, So we didn't have any representation from the SU. For me, Mm -hmm. it was about like giving people that were in in my campus like a voice in the big table as you would call it because we would have like a campus officer and they're just like a part-time officer. So they don't really get to do a lot of stuff or get to represent us. So giving people a voice is, is very, very important. I guess going forward like how do you think that process or being part of the student union has sort of like shaped your career afterwards because you've gone on to do other things like own your own business mm-hmm. and now like like we're going to talk about later on like moving from working full time to like your own business how has that sort of shaped your career would you say
1: it has a lot and i think yeah. for both good and bad reasons like i will never sit here and say that my time as a sabbatical officer was the best experience in the world. <laughs> like, There were good times, but there, there were many very, there were many difficult times and many difficult moments I had to navigate. And yeah. I think-
0: Do you have it, examples of those like difficult times? Like what, yeah. what happened?
1: I've, uh, a lot of microaggressions and a lot of unconscious bias from people. Wow. You know, I think it's one of those things where being black is political in itself. Yeah. but. Being black and speaking out doesn't necessarily it not doesn't necessarily mean that everything you do has to be rebellious. Yeah. And having been vice president and had the fortune of working with a guy called Jack who was the president, he's a white man. I remember being in trustee meetings and Jack saying stuff. I'd be like, Yeah, good on you, Jack. Everybody around the table would look at Jack and say, Yeah, Jack is talking sense.
0: Amazing, Jack.
1: But the moment now when I'm president when and it, I come out and say it, you're being rebellious, you yeah, have a vendetta against so-and-so, you are you don't have the best interest of the SU at heart. You're I'm being like, aggressive. 100%. And for me, it got to a point where I was like, why is it that everything I say yeah. that I believe is in the best interest of the SU, white people around the table now looking at me as if I am this person that has this massive plot to undermine and overthrow their authority. I'm like, all of us, the authority we have around this table is the authority that was given to us by mm. the students. If the students are not part of this institution, none yeah. of us would be sat around this table. I wouldn't because I wouldn't have been elected. You wouldn't, yeah. there would have. There'll be no students' union for you to be trustees of. Yeah. So this isn't about any single one of us thinking it's, we have. It's, to help. It's,
0: it's like it's like people feel uncomfortable when you mm-hmm. know your work and what you know when you know like your position in the world, because, like you said before, a lot of people like people of color or people like us Mm -hmm. when we get sometimes when people get those roles or like sometimes it's more like a tick box activity for them or it's just sometimes i don't know i don't know but me coming from nigeria i saw it sort of differently but when you get into the role and you sort of know your stuff you know why you're there you know what's happening so it's almost like people just feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. because you have a good idea why you're there and who you represent and what you're bringing to the table and 100%. your skills and your your awareness of your environment and what's going on. Once you have all those things put together, it's like people are uncomfortable
1: mm-hmm. and for no reason. One hundred percent. And I think when you have all of those things and you're proudly black, that is when they are shaking because it's one of those things where a lot of the time, and particularly for so long in our society, people enter workplaces, mm. and in order to fit in, and in order not to draw attention to themselves, they will not be proudly black in what they do. From the music they listen to, they'll tone it down a little bit. From the way they talk, they'll talk in a different way. They may not talk as street or from the ends they come from. You G- know, yeah, I'll, tell you, the...
0: I'll tell you a funny story. It's funny mm-hmm. what you're saying. Sorry to cut you off.
1: No, no, go ahead.
0: We had a... Was he Black History Month? I don't, I can't remember. No, I think he was, I think he was Black History Month. So like we hired this comedian and he mm-hmm. came and made a joke. Like he was like, you know what? Yeah. When I'm in the office, I have to act why. And because I don't, I'm not going to get what I have to get. But as soon as I close the door, I start playing my music. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, I didn't really see it that way. But realistically, like it does happen. Mm-hmm. But, like, maybe for myself, be- the reason probably why I didn't say is because, like, when I was in the SU, like, you you might know, like, most of our officers then was, like, all black.
1: Yeah. And
0: chances are that, like, the majority of us, like, were, like, Nigerians like, or, like, black black people in the UK or whatsoever you would call it. So we... It's like... But we are only the majority when it comes to the sabbatical team. Mm-hmm. But the whole other SU is not the same story. Do you get Con- what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, when we are in our bubble... Like you can tell that people are a lot more comfortable with sort of like saying certain things, expressing themselves in certain ways. Mm -hmm. But when we're like out there, it it changes. Dynamics changes. I don't know why that is. I I can't put my head around it.
1: And you know, I think it's one of those things where the workplace, as much as everyone talks about workplace being a safe space workplace you're always working to impress someone yeah and as as we think that the society we live in is fair if the people at the top do not like you yeah they will make it very clear and find a way to so if you come across as very bold in your approach and They will find it very threatening because for many of them for so long, whether they've had an all-white team, Mm. an all-black team, whoever, a lot of people would be very calm, very collected. They won't speak out against the management because actually Mm. speaking out against the management is something problematic. So now when you go into organisations and you're bold and you speak out and you're confident in what you're saying... These people start shaking because for them they can't imagine that you're trying to do your job. They imagine mm-hmm. that you're trying to overthrow them, and this mm-hmm. is your big, this is your big <laughs> overthrow the tables. And Most of the time you're not even thinking about that. You're just this thinking, is it, doing
0: my job,
1: hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's not like that whatsoever. So it was interesting being in that role and seeing that, seeing yeah. that, and me being one of the. We had three black staff members, one left another. There was a situation, and then it got to a point where I was the only black staff member in that organization. Yeah, and for me, it was hard because everything black now fell to me, whether it was issue with black students, issue around you know race. And I was like,
0: wait, but let me let me even ask you a question. I'm I'm gonna say my point later, but what you just said just took something in my head like when you're the only black person somewhere should the responsibility fall on you to represent the blackness or like i don't know like should you be the like i don't know should you be the carrier of all the responsibilities of like like black like black people or like i have to educate you why unconscious bias is not good or why why you can't say some certain things like should that be your responsibility
1: yeah, it's a question that I toy with a lot because, in one sense, some would say that if it's not your responsibility, then who would do it?
0: Yeah.
1: In another yeah. sense, where people become dependent, and this is one thing I learned through Joanna when she was a sabbatical officer with me.
0: Yeah.
1: You become dependent where if they know that they rely on you so much, it got to a point where we were doing everything from yeah. planning Black History Month to. Go into meetings with societies around disciplinaries to doing all this kind of stuff. But we were like, what now happens if this institution ever gets to a point where there is no black sabbatical officer? Will they be able to think for themselves? And Joanna was like, I'm not I'm not doing it anymore. Me, I was a lot more, oh, if if we don't do it then who will? And yeah. Now when Roehampton has no black sabbatical officers, they are struggling. And I would say it very openly because, listen, they're not paying my phone bill. Neither, <laughs> neither, am I eating, neither am I eating from them anymore. So I'll say it very openly. They are struggling to grab that. Engage the black students. Engage the black students. But because they were so reliant on the black officers to do the work.
0: Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I will tell you something, because as a student that came from Nigeria to the UK, first of all, I didn't realize I was black till I came to the UK. To be mm-hmm. honest. Because mm-hmm. when you're in Nigeria, everyone is black, so everyone is the same. You, if you see a white person, yeah, oh, that's a white person, but it never yeah. occurs to you that. But you just be like, oh yeah, but it never occurs to you that, oh yeah, I'm black. But I know like it's like a vague statement to make, but the idea is that when I co- came to the UK is when I realized things like unconscious bias and all those things. And it was in the union that it kind of opened my eyes because I feel like people throw around statements like unconscious bias, this one, that one. There's nothing unconscious about that. Mm, if you're biased, 100%. you're biased. That's 100%. it. That, that's just my own view. But it wasn't the issue that I, I, I sort of realized this thing. Even though, like, like I said to you, our SU then was mostly like black officers and all of that. So we sort of knew like our what and I think we did have like people within our SU that were not necessarily like black that was championing like that were that were that knew a lot about like black people and the movements mm-hmm. and all of that. So we had those kind of people. So it's very helpful like when you have one or two people that would also like not just because sometimes when you as a black person start questioning certain things is like oh yeah why are you the only person questioning it do yeah. you understand? but we had like other like people like white people that also like questioned the same thing so i don't know if it was like them validating us but it, it did make sense because i just said the same thing do you get what i mean yeah but it was good that we had those kind of people that sort of like i would say like i don't know what they call them but like people that knew about like they were open-minded people, I guess.
1: Hundred percent.
0: And and yeah, so I mean, like, I I definitely agree with you. Like, challenges of being like a black officer in, in, in like um, in a student union is not easy, especially, and it's not just because when you when you're like in the office, you can relate to your students and stuff like. But when you start attending like meetings, like across the board in the universities, and realizing, God, I'm the only black person here. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. this is this is i think some pe- black people will be like some people black people will see it as an opportunity like oh yeah this is incredible but it's not really incredible or anything it's just like why am i always feel like why am i the only black person here
1: 100 like,
0: really I'm... in such like a multicultural place like
1: mm-hmm. you would
0: always feel like that and i think it's just it's just it they, 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 they are like there's there's the good side of it being a sabbatical officer and what the experience you gain is enormous but there's like you said there's those challenges that you face that that not necessarily have anything to do with your ability or anything. Sometimes you just have to, I always used to say to my friends, sometimes you just have to close your eyes and just, just act like you just be oblivious. I don't know if being oblivious is the word, but just Mm -hmm. act like, man, I I don't know what's going on. Just, just let it go. Just let it go. Because like, it's like people don't learn. And if the more you try, like people don't learn. So you just Mm -hmm. allow it, allow it to pass. But you too, like, I'm I'm like, we talked about, like, your experience in the union and all of that. What what would you say were, like, the good, good times?
1: The good times. There were many good times. You know, for me, it was, like, it was the ability to affect change. Mm. But change that I knew that mattered. Because I yeah. think we got to a point where, as much as being black was difficult, yeah. being one of a few black people meant that people listened. Yeah. Whether they listened and believed is a different thing. But all of them listened because... Mm it was the thing where if they didn't listen, they could seem as if, you know, they have unconscious bias or they're racist. So they all were very attentive. So there were many things I said in meetings. So I was the only black person inside this room that everyone would be like, of course, yeah, we agree. you know. <laughs> and and ha- having the fortune at 22, I was or 23 at the time, yeah. to change in an organisation that turns over more than a million pounds a year, That was crazy, and being in a the university governing body where you're affecting change. The institution is multi million pound institution. Those people around the governing body,
0: yeah, are
1: millionaires, billionaires. One drives a Maserati, the other one has a Bugatti. The other one. CEO of this um Olympic Stadium build in um Stratford, so you've yeah. got prominent people in society that are sat around the table listening to you. Yeah, a black boy who's come from Tottenham or a Nigerian boy who's come from Nigeria. So it's crazy, London.
0: bro. It's I'm crazy. not going to lie to you, bro. One day I got invited to, like, you know when they do like the Christmas carols and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I got invited to like the lighting, like the launch of like the the Coventry one, the first day of the lighting, bro. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like the first day I went in, like they took my name. I went in. I went out there. I saw the mayor of Coventry. Mm-hmm. It was really nice. I met like like the rugby footballers, like shaking hands with basically everybody that was somebody in mm-hmm. Coventry. I was like, bro, like if you told me like a Nigerian boy coming from Nigeria to the UK, that at that point in my life, I'm gonna be doing that.
1: 100%. I'd be like,
0: no, man. No. Honestly,
1: even bro, it got to a point where there was one day we had so one of our on our campus, we built a new building and it was, all, um, a, a, it was nominated for an architecture award. So yeah. we now went to Camden for this nice fancy meal. I walked into this building, and I said, God, this cannot be the place. <laughs> the place was beautiful. You should have even seen the plate we were bro. eating from, the spoon. I was thinking, is this how the white people are living? Bro. It was mad. And a lot of these people were prominent people in society has celebrities inside this. And I was looking it's at myself and like, how did I get here? Nah. And the imposter syndrome sometimes, when you're inside these roles, you're like, how? How is how is this yeah. thing? Knowing that you've you've done this, I was like, what cheat? I must have cheated the system somehow. <laughs> This can't be real. You
0: know, the funny thing about like being a student about know, sabbatical officer or like being the vice president, the president, whatever, is the places you get invited to mm-hmm. and the people that you sit across the table from. And it's just like like one day they had like the vice-chancellor, I mean the chancellor's dinner. She has it like once a year. Mm-hmm. They invite everyone across the Midlands, like all the big people, like the like the head of the N- N- like NHS, different sort of like people. And then you sit in your little table, and then they, like it's a three-course meal, and mm-hmm. then you just like. Bro, it seems like I've made it in life to be honest. It's crazy, man. The places I think that's definitely something I miss about like the union, like the networks that you can build just from being like having been a sabbatical officer, Uh like the people that you meet. I don't think in a normal job, like if you've like graduated and you get a normal job, like as soon as you graduate, I don't think you'll be able to meet like the same amount of people. Like the job I work now. I met the CEO from the time I was in the student union. That's how massive it is.
1: Yeah, 100%. Like, and you can, the thing that I learned, going off the two points you say. the thing that I learned from being a sabbatical officer was, or well, the two life lessons I learned was, one, even though you've made those networks, it's how you keep those networks yeah. off. And the second one was, everything you have experienced is a taste of what's to come. We'll to, and yeah. someone said, Joanna said this to me, she's like, true, like, it's not by coincidence that we are inside these rooms. It's yeah. not by coincidence that we are sat around these tables. Like, this is a taste, a small taste of what we can what achieve the cold,
0: yeah.
1: And I was like, 100%, we don't, sometimes I think when we leave our roles, everyone in BSU says, oh, it's going to be hard getting a job. Nah. With the experience we've developed, all of us should be CEOs of organisations.
0: <laughs> True, no one, bro. No like one the understands things you do. What
1: being a sabbatical officer is.
0: Bro, the things you do, you're a director, mm-hmm. you're sitting in all the boards, you're making all the decisions, your SU is probably turning over more than more than a million pounds mm-hmm. and you're sitting in the financial decision checking everything that goes and making sure that the SU is running smoothly. Bro, that is a lot of... And is a lot of responsibilities. And sometimes when you go in, there's a lot of like undue pressure because you're not sure yeah. what to expect but when you come out of it i think you gain so much experience that you probably don't even know where to place yourself that's mm-hmm. the problem mm-hmm. like, there's so much you gain that you don't even know like how to, how do i comport my cv because i have got like every single thing that you can probably ask of me. Like, right. events pr- planning being an executive, being a project manager, being this one, being that one, representing different boards. Bro, there's a lot of stuff you can 100%. get from
1: it. No, definitely. But
0: you've gone from like being the face of the SU to working behind the closed doors, like uh-huh. behind like, the table. And we know like what goes on, like how sabbatical officers have ideas or like student union officers have ideas and you have to basically be the ones coordinating that. How, how was that shift for you? Like, was it difficult?
1: You know what, they don't again, they don't pay my bills now. So let me speak <laughs> briefly. You know what, it was It was nice. I think at the point in which I had finished as a SAB, I, yeah. was, I was ready to never yeah. look at another thing from a sabbatical office perspective. Yeah. So, going into the role, I think I went into it naively, thinking like this is the role for me. Yeah. But having been inside that role now, it was very, very difficult because. When you see things that are not necessarily correct, who are yeah. you to now come and speak up about it? Because you're nobody, you're not a neither yeah, are you. You can't manager. really
0: say nothing at this
1: point. 100%. There were certain things the SABs were not doing. I was like, you're taking an opportunity away from the SABs. Like, first, senior management and staff members probably had more influence in meetings than the sabbatical officers did. Yeah. And I was looking at being like, why is it? Why am why I like that? 100%. Why am I, as a staff member, going to this meeting when I have no political influence? This should be the sabbatical officer. But you couldn't speak. But yeah, you if can't you can influence them, can you? 100%. And UWL, and I, I've said their name now, UWL is a great institution. It does things very differently. It's number one SU inside the country. Yeah. The university is number one for student satisfaction. So it's all going and work. But I think the problem is there is that where do you go from there? Mm. Everything's your number one. So the pressure of being in that environment, knowing yeah. that you are now somebody who's doing admin and not making an influence. Like I never felt like, at any point that my voice could have been taken. I was in the student voice team where the majority of us in student voice were white, the majority of the team were white. Oh. We know that uh, although uh, the people that put themselves forward for elections we still get a good number, but in a university where we have a high majority of BAME students, why are we not? Why are we not attracting mm. students for running in our elections? No one at any point sat down to me and was like, oh, you've been a sabbatical officer before. You've, obviously, you are from um, the black community and, and you're a person of what could we be doing more to engage these mm. students? Could you look through our elections process and potentially tell us if there's anything that you feel lacks accessibility for students coming forward? No one wanted to do that. simple thing of as i did when i applied for i didn't want to become a sabbatical officer inside that role but what i wanted to do was use my skills and expertise i've taken from that role into this role to be able to support the team and support the officers to be successful yeah but that wasn't possible so i think it got to a point where your mode and i keep saying this to people those who stay in student unions you need to ask yourself why are you staying yeah. When you finish as a sabbatical officer, yeah. the easiest step sometimes is to stay in student unions. It's because you, it's what we know. We've yeah. worked in it for a year. We've worked in it for two years. We understand it's what we know. But what is your intentions? Because there are many people who've been in black staff members who've been in this movement for ages. And none of them are CEO yet. But you've mm. had white people who've come into um, SUs. And within five, six years, they're now CEO what is it that you want to do is it that you want to be there as somebody that's just a representation for students to come and for other sabbaticals and other students to see black staff members in for su is it that you believe that you want to create change is it that you want to work up towards becoming ceo what is your reason for staying there and how do you how will you get there but you also have to have the patience to know that it will be a very long journey i for myself didn't believe i was there for the long run like i knew Mm -hmm. that i could have done it but the frustration sometimes of being inside the environment experiencing what you're experiencing but knowing that you cannot see your promotion i could i couldn't see what was next for me in the su movement at least yeah. this organization that i was in so you become very disheartened and i think over time i became disengaged and i was mm-hmm. like this i need to go and do something different with my life
0: yeah so now you've gone and done something different with your life so you're now the like how do you move from working so are you still working at 9 to 5 now that you're like the founder and CEO of your own company and you're running that company with your friend? Like, how does that work? How does that switch happen?
1: Faith, bro, when I tell you, it had been on my heart for ages to do it. But in life, risk taking a risk and leaving a 9 to 5 where you're taking a good salary every mm. year. Like, bro, I'm not going to lie. Like, again, the one thing I do say about UWL is they pay well. I was on, I was on a decent, healthy salary. So to leave that, where I know every month I'm getting a solid income, same income in every month, mm. to now take the risk of going leaving my nine to five and going self employed, where everything I make every month or the money I make monthly is very different. You know, there's mm. the business may never become a success, but mm. you go into it with faith. And for me, it got to a point where I was like. I want to leave SUs, but I don't want Mm. to go and work another nine to five. But what I want to use is is use the skills I've learned from being a sabbatical. So the business skills, use the admin and project management skills I've learned from being a staff member and go and do something for myself. And I think because I had the understanding of the industry that I'm in now and also with the other business, I had the understanding. And Mm. I also had the networks. I thought actually that is the starting point. Go into it with the idea, understand what you want to get out of it and use your network.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the moment I was able to confidently feel that I had all three of those together and all three of those could work, that's mm-hmm. when I was like, okay, now's the time to take take the leap of faith and just leave. And, you know, it was it was the right time. Because I had I not done it then, I don't think I don't think I would have ever done it. It was oh. everything just fell into place.
0: How is business going bro?
1: It's a pandemic man. It's a <laughs> pandemic it's hard, <laughs> like since
0: man? you moved like has it been like what you expected it to be like has has the business been what you sort of thought it would be like I'm guessing like there's been a lot of challenges since the switch and like obviously yeah. about the income and stuff like but how how has it been so far?
1: You know what it's been it's been rewarding in the mm-hmm. sense that I I'm busy, like I'm constantly busy with projects and I'm constantly busy working on stuff, which is great. I am now around tables where I am influential again, which for 18 months, I wasn't influential. Like I was a staff member who was doing a job that was very admin heavy. Now I am leading conversations. People want to hear my voice around that table, a bit like when I was a sabbatical officer, even though mm. slightly different. So I feel like it's been Good. And again, the timing has been perfect because a lot of the opportunities I have got has been because I am black, you know, the Mm. industry that I'm in, the arts and entertainment industry for so long has not been the most greatest with diversity. Mm. But The death of George Floyd and everything that happened last year, people made conscious efforts to Mm. increase representation. And because of that, they were actively Mm. looking for people to come and work oh, yeah. on certain projects and i just happen to be in the right place at the right time and have the network but mm. that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody just because of everything that's happened it's the same for everybody i had i knew the people that would get me in For us mm. a lot of people that don't know the people and mm. they are still looking for opportunities so i am grateful i'm thankful in that sense and it's been okay i think it's a pandemic. So had this not been a pandemic, things probably would have been
0: worse or better,
1: better, a lot better than it yeah. is now business might be a bit more booming. A lot of stuff. It's planning ahead because of the way things are. Everyone's skeptical about putting anything in the next nine months. Yeah. So anything we're doing is talk about stuff, 12 months ahead, 18 yeah. months, ahead, even sometimes two or three years ahead, because it's that sense of while the pandemic is still going, while, there could be potential for future lockdowns while people are still still skeptical about investing money in because mm-hmm. i was at one point in the business at the start of this year i was looking at doing a um, seed capital raise where i was going to go out to angel investors and raise money through mm-hmm. the sale of capital um, share capitals mm-hmm. and talking to investors not that they were disinterested but the climate is difficult you know it's a competitive market everybody over the last year a lot of people have moved to self-employed because mm. people weren't working and you know what are you in your business going to do to make you stand out what's your unique selling point because there are so many people in the market but what makes you different and if you can find what makes you different being successful being successful will not be difficult mm. i think key in business to being i think the reason why so many businesses n- don't often take off is there are so many people doing it but you can't find what you're doing differently and when yeah. you find what you're doing different you can't convey it because people then see oh but isn't this the same company as the person next door i don't see what they're doing differently but it's, it could be the most simplest of model that you've changed slightly that's your unique selling point and you run with it and you market it well so the last couple of months has been a lot of learning for me in terms of what what, what do I bring to this company? What do I bring to these um, organisations? What can I do to position myself in a way that makes me unique, makes my brand unique, makes my company unique, to ensure that when I'm approaching um, clients or when I'm approaching other partners to seek opportunities to support them and get involved with mm-hmm. in them, they are saying, yes, you're the right person because there is no one doing what you're doing at this moment. So it's been a lot of learning as well, but so far so good, man. Sometimes I think we the reason why so many people are fearful of leaving that nine to five is because we become so reliant on that nine to five. We live to work, not is we live to work, not work to live, or it's the other way around. We work to live, not live to work, and it's one of those things where so many people we're so reliant on that money coming in every month that when you think about leaving that nine to five, you're like, how can I? Leave at nine to five, where will my next paycheck come from? And sometimes it's a good question, but if you don't if you don't walk that walk, then you'll never know. And I think that's the mm. thing every single day I'm learning. But the learning is making me a better person and making me a better entrepreneur and a better business leader.
0: Mm. I mean, that's good. I mean, one thing I picked out from the conversation that we've been having, you have be talking about like networks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you start building a network as a young person?
1: good question thinking ahead it really is about thinking ahead i think for a lot of us the reason why we don't want to network is because we don't think it's going to profit us Mm. and particularly when already we have a social circle you've got friends you've got family who you're talking to your friends and family regularly someone now tells you that oh you've got to network in your head you're thinking i don't have the energy to go and talk to more people, particularly people Mm. I don't know, but that's because you don't know why you're talking to them for. You look at people that study law, for instance. Mm -hmm. Why are these people always, every networking law event they go to, they attend. Every chamber meeting they hear or any sort of like panel discussion about law they attend because they know that by going to these meetings and by going to these events, by going and talking to these people, It could be now that the person that you're going to talk to is in a law firm that you're trying to get a training contract at. A training contract to study in the UK is not an easy process to go through, but knowing someone in that organisation that can walk you through the process that's been through it, that can give you advice, now helps your chances of being successful. Mm. And I think the key to networking for me has always been, why am I talking to this person? A lot of the people I network with are people that either have loads of money, and I would say it very openly, either people that have loads of money, people that I know would be beneficial to me in future, whether potential collaborators, potential people who know some who know somebody that I want to get in contact with in the future. So having that relationship now makes it easier. Mm. When I say, can you introduce me later on? It makes it simpler. So it's about going into it. And it sounds it sounds bad because I think a lot of what I'm saying, somebody might might be like, oh, but it's pretentious. Mm, yeah. Like, every conversation we have is an intentional conversation. Whether you go and talk to your parent about something that you want them to help you with, you're going into that with an intent. Whether you're going into a meeting at your university wanting to lobby for extra library hours, um, longer library hours, you're going into that conversation with an intention. Yeah. every networking situation you go into with an intention but what is your intent is it that you want to be an event you want to go into events when you go and talk to people who are you talking to is it that you're reaching out to event planners is it that you're reaching out to ceos of big corporate businesses is it that you're going on linkedin and every linkedin search you're trying to connect with event professionals drop them a message me and LinkedIn, every single person I connect with on LinkedIn, I always try to send them a message. And it's always, it could be the most random person. I I will always start my message with, dear so-and-so. I would be really grateful to connect with you. I am a young black entrepreneur who is trying to be successful in the world. I stumbled across your profile and saw all the amazing work that you've done. I would really love an opportunity to have a chat with you at some point to hear about your journey and where you've got to and seek your advice on how i can be as successful as you or more in the future yeah those messages get people because one people not people that are successful as much as they are open to conversation they get a hundred of those messages a day so what are you going to do to and capture that sometimes you need to feed these people's these people's ego as well like a lot of these people when they hear you say you want to be, that you want to listen to them, you want to hear about their journey, how they became successful, so you can be as successful or more, you're speaking key words into these people. You're like, wow, yes, I am, I am successful. And someone's really interested in what I've done. So yes, I, I want to talk about myself. I'm going to give them time. And that is the routine. And the moment you have that routine, now you've built that relationship that if you are an entrepreneur and 10 years time from now, you're looking to raise money for a project. And you know yeah. this person has connections. All you need to do is reach out to this person. Hi, um, I really want um, your support on this. Because they know you, because they understand you, because they believe in your potential, they will support you as opposed to you approaching random investors and saying, I want to do this. They're like, I don't know you. Why am I going to give you money? So it's all of this thing. It's about going into it with a long-term plan. Networking isn't something that you start today, finish tomorrow. Networking is a life journey. Some of these people you start conversations with, you will be with for life. How yeah. do you do it? And Joanna, who again is a f- great friend of mine and was a sabbatical officer, she would always go round every department in University, and I'll be like Joe. Why do you do this? She's yeah. like, you never know where your next job will come from. She will talk to the cleaner morning till night. She'll talk to the cleaner, but she's like, as mu- as much as this person looks like a cleaner to you, you never know what their son could be. You never know who their husband might be. You yeah. never know who one of their family true, members.
0: True, might be. true, 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 bro. True, like that's one thing I've always learned, man. You you can never, never, never like I speak to literally any and anybody i Mm -hmm. don't care like because you never know who the next person that's next to them or who they who they really are you just you just never know especially if if you've got a target you can never like especially like if you're selling something or you have a product or an entrepreneur or stuff like that you can never say oh no i'm not gonna promote to this person because i don't think they have money you can never know Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. people have different ways of showing themselves or like spending their money or how they behave or different things or people have different associations or so you can't never write anybody and be like no i'm not going to talk to this person because of this because of that i actually where i learned that was from the su as well during elections like you literally have to talk to anybody that you see you can't write any you can't say i'm not going to talk to this person today 100%. But, like a lot of people don't realize that they they tend to pick and choose they
1: and by doing so, essentially, and I always say this, sometimes you are blo- blocking your own blessings because you never know. It's sometimes I think we live in a world where whether you believe in a God or you don't believe in a God or you believe in the universe, you believe that God or the universe will just come and lay in front of you. But sometimes yeah. it could be that person that you said no to or you ignored. That could be that person that has that opportunity for you. But yeah. because you were rude to them or because they said hello and you're like, oh, you're just a cleaner. <laughs> Now, when you, that opportunity now arises, you start feeling shame. Oh, how can I now go and talk to this person and ask about this opportunity when I yeah. didn't, before I didn't give them the time? Yeah. So it's, you never know, be open and transparent
0: with everybody. Right. choo, it's been lovely having you today. Definitely. I guess my final, final thing I want to ask you is, what would be your advice for like, or your suggestion for young people that want to move, make that move from working in a nine to five to sort of starting their own business or managing their own business, or even starting some sort of social media stuff or anything that they wanted to do, but making that move from a nine to five to something else that they are a lot more passionate about. What would you, what would you suggest?
1: Have a plan Mm. that probably have a plan and have a long-term plan, like plan year one, year two, year three. Mm. And at every point in that thing, put some key milestones. And it could be that year one, quarter one of year one from um january till april this is what i will look to achieve if by the end of april have i achieved it so you're setting yourself benchmarks because being an entrepreneur leaving a job where you're accountable to others where now you're just accountable to yourself it can be quite lonely there will be days where you wake up and you don't have a motivation to do what you're doing you don't have a motivation to continue yeah what are you going to do to keep yourself accountable And if you have something to work towards, every day when you wake up, you're like, okay, great, fantastic. I know what what I'm here to achieve. I know what the goal is. And the reason why I say have a long-term plan is have that three-year plan or that three-, four-, five-year plan because you're working towards something. So even when you're having those bad days, you're like, five years from now, I have made £15,000 or five years from now, I will have opened two branches of my company. Yeah. that is what gets keeps you going. And if you are thinking of leaving a nine-to-five and, you know, going into a thing, if you have the luxury of having savings to support you, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And plan ahead. Like, if that is the goal, start thinking about it now. Is it that you're working a nine-to-five now every yeah. month? Put £100 aside. Put £50 aside. As much as it seems like you're sacrificing, you're investing in your future. Yeah. And you're investing in laying those foundations. So once you leave that nine to five, you're not now worrying about every month different paycheck because you've got that surrounding. But even if you don't save and even if you don't have the money to do it, I still say go into it with the ability that you can do it and with yeah. an element of faith. Because if you do not believe in yourself, in your idea, then who will?
0: <laughs> Fair enough, bro. I, 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 If you do not believe in your I, I always say... If- you've got to be convinced that that business will be successful because if you don't convince yourself then you can't convince anyone to 100%. buy or you can't even sell your service or whatever you're planning you can't sell that to the next person
1: 100 percent. and treat your business as if you are apple i think many of us go into business and we treat us oh we're small scale if yeah. you're talking like some when i talk about my company it's only me and my company but when i'm talking to people i say we. we are we are doing this we are doing this big your company talk about your company as if it's a big corporate company yeah because that is where you're heading if you start talking that language from the start when it now blows and it becomes big you won't be struggling to talk about it in that way yeah so that's that's just my advice but do i do i regret leaving the nine to five to do this no it's one of the best things i've done and I encourage so many other people to do it, but also reach out to yeah. those of us that are doing it. If you have somebody that you know that has done it, reach out to them, speak to them, connect with people on LinkedIn. Feel free to message me for advice. You know, mm. those of us that have done this, are am not stupid to think that there are that we are in this journey alone. There's people that have made this possible for us. So, how can we help make this possible for others as well? So, yeah.
0: Once again, man, thank you so much, bro, for coming on no. live. If people wanted to like reach you, where can they reach you?
1: Um, I am the most accessible person in the world. So I am on LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, my name is Wagu. Again, you can connect with me on um Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I am one of those people. If you message me on whatever app, mm. I will always be more than happy to respond Definitely. to message yeah, just support as I, that I sure. can.
0: Anyways thank you bro all the best with the business and i okay. wish you all the best of luck and if you ever if you need anything feel free to shout me
1: okay.
0: and thank you everyone for listening once again is the where do we go on our podcast make sure to leave your reviews on any platform that you're listening apple music spotify whichever one google podcast and i'm signing out bye everyone